Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a Galactic Football League novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. Here we are with the second half of the Stone Wolves Q&A, which makes this the final Stone Wolves episode. Next week, episode one of the original Rookie Podcast, the adult version with all of the swears, begins. That has been gone since about 2009. We happened to open Radioactive Time Capsule. We found the episodes there. Now we're going to cram them straight down your ear holes. But this episode is all about the Stone Wolves. Hey, are you on Audible? Are you on Amazon? Are you on Goodreads? Then leave a review for the Stone Wolves, please, in any or all of those places. That really helps the cause. Aside from buying the books and spreading the word, reviews are the biggest thing you can do to further the cause of Siglerism. And now let's get into the Q&A. Spoiler alert! This episode spoils just about everything in the Sigglerverse, including the Generations Trilogy, GFL Book 6, and some Infected Trilogy stuff. So if you haven't consumed those stories yet, maybe wait on this one, because it is the Sigglerverse and everything ties together. Oh, good point. This is a 90-minute episode. We recorded this live on our weekly Sigler in Place live stream, which happens every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. They are a ton of fun, coming out with a real girl, me, and a bunch of junkies in the chat room at various locations, including twitch.tv slash scottsigler, youtube.com slash scottsigler, or facebook.com slash scottsigler. It's all free. Enjoy it. Enjoy the Q&A. It's free, too. And I hope you dug the Stone Wolves. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Hi, happy, guys. Happy Hump of Reese's Day. Huh, well. Yep, because we've got mm. Reese's Pieces today. You but, don't have your Reese's shirt on, but that's okay. It's still uh, orange. It's still orange. We got plenty. We got plenty of I'll, Reese's. I'll jump over for a second. Um, Jenna Leah says, do, I guess, switch of over course, Jenna Leah, do that, because there's going to be spoilers, oh, spoilers of everything galore. in the Sigliverse. So the right answer, if you're Something worried like. about it, is just to to uh, to to jump off right now but Red love you daryl i'm gonna ask Red your Nuttum question on though, twitch so. none of my think hello yes go ahead um we also have a few people who are recovering my good friend alicia and my good friend will they both are, are battling covid right now they are all they are quadruple vaxxed or at least triple vaxxed i think in will's case and doing well but uh covid is coming for all of us you guys so if you uh haven't yet gotten covid like me and scott and Alicia and Will, uh, be careful because um, COVID's coming for all of us. And the more you can do to protect yourself, we'll also protect you from long COVID. I also have to say, you guys know, I love my brother to death. My brother's name is Jude Stenson. He often uh, joins the Facebook chat. Oh, you put on your Reese's shirt. <laughs> uh, you, know, it was, uh, you know, when you think back, it was, I would say, 30 years ago. And we were warned. We were warned about COVID. Yeah. Gloria Estefan. Really? Yeah. She said the code is going to get you. Oh, well, 
Oops, we go back to the main. We uh, sign up for the newsletter. Do it. It's yeah, smart. Of course. It's a it's smart, smart thing to do. There's news and coming soon. You'll so like it. So many of the questions that we have tonight are like, when? What's coming after the first crypt? What's coming after the rookie uh, on it? Uh, you know, adult version, all that. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll know before everybody else. It's and great. sign up. Send Sig text to eight five five nine five 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 zero nine five. You get delicious, delightful, low calorie text messages sent to your phone to let you know when I'm about to have a whole bunch of calories. Because always beating on camera speaking, is the way that it goes. Yes. Speaking of always eating on camera, as Scott talks about the other things that we're going to talk about, I will tell you that today is I Love Reese's Day. So all through the show tonight, we're going to have... Different kinds. Reese's what, what, Pieces. What, what, what? Yeah, the it's going to be great. Reese's Fast Break. There's so many things to eat. There's going to be a lot of eating on camera. And speaking of... Uh, well, this has nothing to do with eating on camera. It's a bad segue. But we have Steve the Iceberg Cricket Bird throws a little partay. I mean, after seven hours, partay. he's got to eat something on camera. He's drinking that. He whole should time. have. He, he should have. Want to see my impression of Steve Rickyberg? Sure. <laughs> Here we go. My impression of Steve Rickyberg. Oh. Let me get character. Oh, Lord. Hi. I'm Steve Rickyberg. And when I've been on a Zoom meeting for seven hours and I need to eat something or I'll pass out, I have Reese's <laughs> Take Five. It gives me all the nutrients and energy I need to keep going. For that next seven-hour marathon How zoom. How does that taste, Reese's Take Five. Let's find out. <laughs> uh, he hasn't spent a ton of time on... Hi. Uh, on the happy hour, just a little bit of time on the happy hour, but Steve is, is definitely at least this cool. He's actually a lot cooler, so come on and join us. What, what's Slightly stale pretzels, caramel, <laughs> peanut butter, and coated in wonderful chocolate made in Hershey, Pennsylvania. That's right. It's American-made. Reese's take five, have one, and then why I take seven. There you go. Mm. That's I'm not. That's me. It's me, me the whole time, you guys. It's been me. They call me a chameleon. They say I can imitate anyone. Facial expression, carriage, aura, all of the things. So there we go. Okay, that is it. Um, that's very sweet, you guys. It's very, very sweet. It's uh, it's got that proper peanut butter saltiness. It's fantastic, fantastic. Let us go and take a look at what's going on in the book world. Not a whole lot, you guys. Except for this right here. This is Shakedown, the Crypt Book 1. I actually updated the title today. That's about all the work I got done. I also decided it's going to have to be 125000 not 100000 not 107500 not 110000 not 120000 probably $125,000. But also, yep. not 190. These things are important. Well, I'm not done yet. Uh, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> but we're shooting for 125, and we have the blessing of our publisher, so that, that works out. This means we're about 68% done with the first draft, although hey, I ran Jude, into nice a, a huge uh, a plot snag today that I have to figure out. Um, that There we go. All right. That is it. That's all the non-Q&A news that we have. 
So uh, we got we talked to you guys last week about a couple of things. The same things are true this week. So I'm going to tell you at the at the head of the show. I'm going to tell you throughout the show two things. Today's show is also 90 minutes long. We forgot to tell you in advance last week. This time we did tell you in advance. It's 90 minutes long because you guys have so many questions about the Siglerverse. That's number one. Number two, this entire show is spoilerific. You saw Jenalia uh, Vertich Harris join us at the beginning of the show to say hi. Love you guys. Have to. I haven't read everything that I want to read before being spoiled, so she hopped off. We're going to try and do that throughout. If it's something that we haven't been talking about a lot, we may remind you that there are spoilers afoot, but every single thing out of Scott's mouth and my mouth during the show is p- potentially a spoiler for a book you haven't read. So if you hear that happen, if we a- if somebody asks about Infected and you haven't read Infected, know that that might spoil you and maybe hop out and you know, note how many minutes in we are and then come back in 10 minutes later or something like that. Boz is in the house. Hello, Boz. Hey, Boz. We nice miss to you too, buddy. You. All right, here we go. First of all, hope you're feeling well. Courtesy of Steve Rickenberg. Do you know Steve Rickenberg is a pitch man? Oh, my God. No, wait. No, wait. No, wait. No, wait. I got to have the whole camera here. You guys know that. No, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Trust me on this. Ready? Yeah. Okay, sorry. What did Steve prepare for us? You guys are not ready. <laughs> Steve is not only. So good. He's such an important part of Empty Set. He is absolutely on our side as junkies. Here's my proof. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, uh, we're, we're going to have some. Uh, we're going to have some outtakes from the Stone Wolves recording process. They are not flattering to me. They do not put me in a good light. <laughs> they do not make me look rational, kind, sane, or like I ever bathe or shower or care about anybody but myself. You know how they edit things in real, uh, in, in uh, what, is it, what do they call that when they just turn the cameras on? Real life TV? Uh, uh, reality? Reality TV. Yeah. A reality TV show. But the other thing about Steve Rickenberg is this. Hi. Uh-oh. I'm Steve Rickenberg. <laughs> oh, Lord. And when I spend all day long editing Scott burping and farting into the microphone and apologizing and yelling at everyone, including himself, it can get a little taxing. That's why I have Reese's Sticks. <laughs> I'm pronouncing it very carefully. <laughs> Reese's sticks. That's why right. I have these, and let's find out how they taste. And here's the thing: while he's eating, opening that, and eating it, I'm going to say this. Uh, <laughs> one of the great good things that Steve does for us is he insists on fixing tiny little audio Ooh. hiccups, and one of them is a double S like that. Reese's sticks. Because if you don't say it right, you're like, "Hey, do you like Reese's sticks in your mouth?" Yeah. And he'll, yeah, and, I like Reese's sticks in my mouth. Yeah, and you delicious. know what doesn't play in Peoria? Iceberg does not like that. Does not right. like that. Here we and go. He makes us fix it. Now we're going to chat answer. room. <laughs> we can watch all your reaction live. Here is the outtakes. These come fast and furious, you guys. So, oh, you guys. While we may play them again at some point in the future, listen up. It starts out. Here we go. Uh, this may. I'll watch the. Do you volume. have your drink? Because you're going to need I your do. drink. I do. <laughs> there may. If there's a, a volume spike, I'll stop it and come back and fix that. Here we go. Actually, we're going to do this camera over here, babe. So I can monitor this. Shit, fuck. Hold on. <laughs> well, I got... Ah, shit. Goddamn stomach. Fuck this shit. <laughs> what happened to my voice? All of a sudden. This is the literary genius I, I, I sling about. <laughs> That's what it sounds like in the booth, you guys. All right, here we go. Got some more of them. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to clip this, Steve. It's okay. Sack of corn hasn't revealed her name. To fucking who? What <laughs> the fuck does that mean? <clears throat> that, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second. I don't know what the fuck is happening. 
That's Sorry. good enough. That's that, uh, that. That's me trying to get into the killing voice after th- two or three or four hours of recording, just trashing myself. Because let's continue. The bridge of a key ship was a big metal sphere around which the command crew clustered. Fuck me. <laughs> oh, hold on. That's, I got clustered one sentence above. It's like I only know one word. No, it's still the... I got gas going like crazy, Steve. This is terrible. <laughs> this is so bad. What is going on? How did this get through all these people? It's a, it's a train wreck. No, there's no point. It's just, I don't know how I keep doing this over and over and over and over. So I basically, at that point, I had quit writing. I was out. I was like, I'm sure there's a couple jobs I could do out there. It's very frustrating, Steve. Uh, fortunately, I caught that on camera. That's great. Here we go. Over again. Wait for that missile that's going to kill us all to go by. <laughs> Which no one can hear. <laughs> watch it. Watch it hit us right before we get to the end of 153. Zen. Ah, damn it. Being very repetitive about this five years. <laughs> I guess not. We'll just keep going. It's bad writing, but so many planes. Well, that's a really tough. Hold, that's a fucking tough sentence. Give me a second here. That's not. That's. <laughs> oh, you can hear me. I'm a fabulous, fabulous performer. Of Mayday, Mayday. I said, in her best impression of one of the galaxy's most famous people. This is Somalia Midori aboard the inestimable class yacht Zedadeth. What did I say? Okay. This is Somalia Midori aboard the inestimable. This is Somalia Midori aboard the inestimable class yacht Zedadeth. In inestimable, inestimable. Here's the crazy thing. There's a fucking sound cloud that exists. I know. Fudge. No, the same word. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Steve, I share this gift of gas with you. <clears throat> very spitty this time, which is very good. All, l- <laughs> all lubed up in there, Steve. <laughs> One of the big crab machine, crab crab machine, crab machines. Does that sound right? I know that sounds funny. It does. You said it actually fine the first time. The second time you said crab machines. Crab, crab, mach- cr- crab machines. Ugh, I'll never write in another book with another person ever again as long as I live. <laughs> this is so hard. That's, uh, tell her to stop that. That's Reesey. It's Reesey Day. We did? Steve, we're waiting for the dog to stop digging in the bed right now. Uh, slid against the wall. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, God, I wish I knew my grammar better. Outside, the tsunamis and volcanic islands spun... What? <laughs> Hit pause. What the fuck does that... I feel like I used to be much better at this job. <laughs> fuck, what did you put that in there for? It doesn't make any sense. Steve, this is page 479 to 513. I warn you in advance, I've got the toots. This could get over <laughs> A rocket ship driven by incalculable, 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 incalculable. In that far distance, a jet of magma shot into the air. A rocket ship driven by incalculable, 
I'll start from a rocket ship. Driven by incalculable. <laughs> incalculable. Jason, no, he's not. All uh, right. And now to honor um, Hutch, we're going to play the most famous soundbite in all of podcasting, in the entire history of podcasting. H- hang on one sec, just okay. in case people don't know this. So you heard Scott try to say the word. Inestimable. 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 Inestimable, which is easy when you're saying it just as the word. But as you will see, these storied, educated, talented writers slash narrators have trouble in in sync doing this. So you heard Scott do it and the same word. Let's and hear this is uh the this is JC Hutchins. You can listen to his Sound Sun podcast. I believe that is still out there. You can go buy it his is, books. And it's lovely. Uh, he was the co author of The Stone Wolves and um, also texted me yesterday like, hey do you know any female fronted metal bands? And I'm like Hello, I gave him a man. giant Hello, gave him a giant Hello. list of stuff to go. <laughs> Hello, this family. is him trying to record and screwing up this word. It's one of my favorite things. Inestimable 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 our inestimable our inestimable our inestimable 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 our inestimable our inestimable our inestimable our inestimable duty office Apparently, uh, oh, it's so good! It's uh, so good. It's, I don't know what that cracked. Steve, did you hear that crackling in both the sound bites? I don't know what that. I've never heard that before. But here we go. Okay, so I tried uh, to turn a fan in case it was that. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Now, ready? Ready? Yeah. Okay, that is all the preamble. The inestimable. I thought it'd be. I thought it'd be clever. The inestimable preamble is now gone, and now we're moving on to the questions. So we have two video questions that we're going to start oh, with. We do. Uh, okay. I believe the here. first one. I'm, I hope they're in order, and if so, um, I have to go to video. Uh, yeah. So they 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 introduce themselves. Yeah, they. I think they both introduce themselves. Okay. Here not, we go. I can tell you here are. we go. This, of course, is this Super is Super Ben. Yep. Super Ben here. You know about Star Wars. Uh, hold, you know, I'm gonna pause. Give me one second here. Sure. Talk to the people. I don't know. I must have a. Uh, he's gonna reload that to see if we can do it well. If not, I can ask the question that that Super Ben is gonna ask. Uh, but um, what's neat about we have two video questions today, and uh, we both we have both had the pleasure of meeting and hanging out. With both Ben here, who you see, and Darren, who has come to uh, several Sigler Fests, and is they're both lovely. They have both come join come join us and other junkies at junkie events, um, and are you know are you know the same sort of fans that we are. And uh, so he has a pretty brief question that I can ask if he can't do this, but let's it's try only fifteen seconds. So let's try. Let's try. Again. Let's try again. We're back over here. Okay. There's Super Ben here. We know about Star Wars, The Godfather, Aliens, maybe Firefly, for some of your inspiration for your story writing. What are some more recent ones, maybe TV, movies, video games, that have inspired you for some of your more recent stories? So, um, most of the inspiration I get is is structure-related. Like, you watch how people thread things together, uh, and and that's what I latch on to. So, I'd say very recent is... Uh, we're starting a, a rewatch of the MCU because my darling wife has never seen most of the MCU. So we started I've that I've now out. seen six. Up until last week, I've only seen four things in the MCU. <laughs> so we're getting that going. And 
that's an inspiration. Uh, the MCU is very good at, you know, showing you cute little things or interesting bits of information and working them into dialogue. So like when they show it to you, it's not like, look at the, look at the watch on this guy. Isn't this crazy? But you see the watch and the watch is acknowledged and you know, the watch is going to come back later and then they go on with it and you get all the, the character work. And then at some point the watch shows up and again, in a place you didn't really expect it to that kind of thing. Um, is uh, it's pretty deft, you know. That Marvel gets bagged on sometimes being simplistic, but I mean, they're, they're superhero movies, so it's a different it's a different cup of tea to start with. Mm. And they're very good at at that kind of threading. I would say Daredevil was one that was uh, it was, I guess, more of an influence. What else, babe? You think of anything uh, else? So I think uh, Superman didn't mention this, but we know him in real life, and he knows this about Scott that Scott loves. Battlestar Galactica, but he didn't mention that. And that's relatively more recent than the other things he mentioned, Star Wars and Star Trek and back then. Uh, and that's another one. But Battlestar Galactica, the the reboot, up until one hour into the finale, um, really moved Scott yeah. and his uh, efforts and way of storytelling. And you'll see a lot of that, though? I think. I think Ben um, was asking B. Since that, is, do, is there anything else we've watched that I've been like, holy shit, that's amazing? Dexter? Yeah, Dexter. There's a lot of things that are recently moving him to watch that are um, more, uh, he, he's looking more at character-driven things. Like, especially during Story Smack, we have watched things that are big set pieces, like Top Gun, but have character interactions. And I think that's a new thing that we're doing recently and that he may be benefiting from. And right this very minute, we're watching a lot of submarine movies and stuff. A lot of submarine movies. We just watched Greyhound, which is not technically a submarine movie, but it was so good. Tom Hanks, Greyhound, available on Apple TV only. It's the only place we could get it. It was so good. And it was uh, was pretty tight. It was pretty tight. Now, that's a movie where where there was no pretense for a B-story. It's just... Here's a guy, he's the captain of the ship, this is a crappy situation, mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to get through it mm-hmm. nonstop. So it's a very different approach to storytelling, not something I can get away with right yeah. now. Yeah, and Reagan, we haven't uh, started watching the new Dexter because we have sort of uh, research things that I'm we're terrified. watching right now. I'm terrified. I was about to say yeah. two things. We're watching research sort of stuff right now, but also... Scott really loved uh, the Dexter as it existed, and is a little afraid that it won't it, it won't fall through. This or, or it won't come through. This is Darren Wall. He's got another question, and okay. we'll go. Let's see if we get we go. You guys, all, if you've been to Singler Fest, you've probably met Darren. Hold on, I can't get the play button to show up. One second. There we go. Oh, there it is. Darren, long time listener. My question to you is. <laughs> What was the process with regards to the Stone Wolves? Did um, JC come to you with ideas? Did you go to him with a, an outline? How much of the book was decided before either of you started writing? All right, we'll answer that right now. I would like to point out that uh, A, no, she's supposed to be looking at the monitor below the camera. But she had to look down at her Facebook monitor because it was a bigger screen so she could see more of the dog. Am I, I right? Exactly right. I had to see the doggo. And I'm not the only one. The iceberg was all, doggo! Doggo. <laughs> I already forgot. Uh, how much did we plant? So the Stone Wolves goes back um, many, many years. And that was in my uh, – I had an idea. I was going to 
have other people co-write novellas with me and be able to give you guys a whole bunch more stuff. We'd have more stuff to sell. I'd be able to, you know, draw attention to my writer, my good writer pal, my writer pals who are good writers. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, bring some of their audience over. It's, it's kind of a win-win thing. We found out that the writing process itself does not work very well for me. I'm not good at collaborating with people on on stuff that's my original IP. So it took us forever and ever and ever to get out the six novellas that we have. I mean, yeah. a very, very, very long time. But Hutch was one of the first people we went to. And he did an outline for the novel, and I went and made changes. And uh, so he kind of, he outlined the initial crew Mm -hmm. and the ship, and he knew the bad guy, and and he sort of fleshed out like a rub, like, here's the concept, you have to get into these points. He came out with an outline. And then it would be... It would be impossible to determine kind of who did what from there. Like the the bones of beans was Hutch, but that got changed in all the interaction. And like like I say, so Hutch had the main character, the main ship. And what's interesting about this is if you listened to it, any characterization that you heard, so any accent, if you recognized Lulz was Christopher Walken, as we mentioned last week, or a take on Christopher Walken's accent, those things never existed in the text. So if you bring anything to your enjoyment of the story that was based on characterizations in the audio, that's all Scott. But in reality, the other thing that's important to mention is Hutch is, was a story, is a story editor for the GFL. Yep. Uh, we hire him and pay him to look overall at the GFL because he understands everything. And he was actively working on um, uh, sort of story editing the whole GFL at the time. And so I think it's very hard to parse out because at the same time that they were writing this story, they together were choosing to divide what what we used to think of as GFL book six, which now you guys know as the gangster, when it in its first draft, it is it was like all of GFL six and like half of GFL seven. And and that all happened then, too. So it's really hard to parse out. Yeah. But I would say unlike the um, the first story in title fight, where each chapter was either Matt Wallace or Scott, um, this was an integrative thing more than anything else. I and I, I can't even remember how the ending came about. I think I knew I, I know. No, I knew. I knew I needed that ending to set up things in the GFL. Um, but it's, yeah, impossible to tell at this point because it just, it was so iterative. We went through it a bunch of times. And then at some point I was just taking too long in, in getting it back to Hutch. And I'm like, okay, I just, I have to finish this. Cause every time I would send it back, once it got set in stone, sending it back started to add different yeah. facets. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't have that. That's sending it up in a different too. direction. Yeah. Life happened too. Yeah. 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 He so, had a, he like got, he had a kid. I mean, stuff like that, you know, All right. I know you want to get into some of the other questions. Yes, Those I do. were the only two video questions that we had, but we have a bunch of um, process questions. As I mentioned last week, last week was very much about the stone wolves or, or well, this is a good actual question we can ask. Yes. Um, characters. Um, yeah. Go ahead and ask Akil's question. So this Akil, Akil said was, the Stone Wolves originally the killer, and it was, and then we, you know, as, a, as the publishing world changes, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, well, this is a, a black man on the cover of the book, and okay. it's going to call it the killer. I'm like, that could, you know, that, 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 we can do that if we need to, but if there's another way to go about it, let's see if we find another way to go about it, and then, um, and then, then we, okay, we're going to change it, so... You can see the guys, you know, in, in restraints or in cuffs. We're like, so black man on the cover in cuffs of the book called The Killer. No, that's not going to work either. And then we sort of went through. And actually, I think this is a fun fact. That's like the the Stone Wolves 
was something I developed off of that because the Krizatu was Hutch's name, and he just made it up. And that's like the actual pronunciation of the world and the trans word and the translation in English is. So that I came up with the translation, the stone walls. I'm like, this sounds pretty cool. And mm-hmm. we, we kind of changed it around there. So then it then it gelled so much with the story. Like, I, I didn't even remember that. We did yeah, that like three years ago. For so. sure. And um, we have a related question to this. Let me find right. it because it's worth asking this way. Um, chat for a second you, while I find it. Thank you, Akil. Yeah, it's 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 one of those it's one of those touchy things. It's like we're not going to self edit something if it's particularly important or germane to the story. But at times there are optics, there are current situations in politics. There's things you're like, let's just you know let's just leave that. If we can find an equal solution to that, let's leave that alone. What are you right, gonna say to that? and not add if, if there's people trying to make to make something out of nothing. We're not going to give them the fuel to do it. That's the other part. So Joe, we'll start the uh, actual questions with this one because it's relevant. Joe Walter emailed in and asked, not that it changes anything, but I had it in my head that Quentin was partially built on a young Tom Brady. And when racist terms are thrown about in our society, (laughs) it is usually from white males. It wasn't until this novella that I'm picking up on the fact that Q is a black man. How did I miss that? Or is it just a new revelation to challenge my racial biases? And if so, thank no. you. <laughs> because it's it's one of those things. I've, I thought it would be very interesting to do the series where it is a post-racial black and white, brown, yellow, pink, or usual shades. That's post-racial in that perspective. But the there's an enormous amount of racism against people of blue skin and bleach white skin. And, a, and, and heavy G, people with a completely different body type. So I knew that we had, you know, we had, a, we had a black quarterback who was extremely racist against other skin tones. And that was a slow play to kind of, kind of stretch it out and see how it would go. So it wasn't overt. And really the color of Quentin's skin is mentioned, I think, only when his sister shows up. Like it's, it's very, it's not, it's not spelled out. It's in there a couple times very subtly, but, um, you know, it's because it doesn't matter to the position. And number two is there was an intentional, other than describing the size, I wanted to leave Quentin open to your, your imprinting. So like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm describing this, this, you know, human, this, this human wrecking ball of a quarterback and do all these things is so amazingly talented. And then you, if you are a sports fan, you imprint something. If you're a sci-fi fan, you imprint something. Some people might think he looks like Captain Kirk. So it, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, Hold on, I almost, I almost had, I had something for this. I had something for this. Um, darn, I, can't, I forgot what, whoa, who is he based on? This is the best part. This the, is my favorite This is the part. single best part about this job. Because people discover the GFL all of the time. And when they discover the GFL and they are in their NFL fandom, mm-hmm. they all think the quarterback is based on a quarterback who is sort of at the height of their power when they discover... The GFL. So who was Quentin based on? Well, this, I will say, this was written before Tom Brady was even in college. Even in college, you guys. So uh, didn't going have way back. That, didn't have that quarterback right angle jaw yet. No, he, yeah, he, this this goes way back. And then um, there's been Cam Newton was one. When Cam was playing, when he was balling hard, everybody thought it was Cam Newton. And just in case, because there's lots of uh, rookie fans who do not watch the NFL, what color is Cam, Cam Newton? Cam Newton's black. And but, who's the other one? And... Um, Oh, gosh. Dante Culpepper. Well, that's that's who it's actually based on. Oh, that's what I thought you were saying. No. 
Oh. No, what I'm saying is people discover, people imprint a quarterback at the time they're watching it. Dante Culpepper wasn't even in high school. We, no, I'm sorry. Cam Newton wasn't even in high school yeah. when we started writing this thing. So uh, it's, it's, it's Dante Culpepper mm-hmm. because he was, you know, I'll do this. Boop. Then you have to bend over. It's Dante Culpepper because it was when he was, when he started in the NFL, I think there had been one starting quarterback bigger than him. And that was like some something back in the sixties. He played a couple of games. Like he was a giant. He was a giant size. He was a, he was big enough to play tight end, and he was a quarterback. And that brought a whole different world to the position. And that was very compelling for me as someone who's been watching football for you know forty five years. And then so we took Dante Culpepper's size. I'd say Dante Culpepper's accuracy and his ability to run with the football and just run people the fuck over. And combine that with Jim McMahon who mm. was a non-Mormon quarterback at BYU, and they brought him in to play football and nothing else. He did not fit in culturally at all. He was a good old boy, showed up with a chaw in his mouth in a place where you're not allowed to have uh, t- chewing tobacco tobacco of any kind. He didn't give a crap. Or caffeine. Or caffeine. <laughs> no stimulants of any and, kind. And, and Jimbo was pounding beers and being a college kid all through, all through his time, and then he went to the Bears and became... The rock star that he was. And, and do the we rebel. think that maybe Jimbo had a little bit of trouble fitting in in the first few oh, months? Yeah. I, you can, just you can like assume, Quentin. You can assume he had yeah. a little. But uh, Jim McMahon also was, uh, was a lights out talent at the position. And when you are a lights out talent position, there's only so much discipline coaches will do, frankly. If you've got a guy who's going to win you three games almost on his own, you are not going to bench him because he didn't put on a tie. It's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. And you still see this to some extent in the NFL. So the NFL. Now they've given out fines a lot more, and that started with McMahon. The big fines for personal behavior started with Jim McMahon, but it's still very much um, it's very much a league that that lets people fly their freak flag however they want to, within a lot more context now. But you know, in the climate ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
as Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast. Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. And I will say this, which we uh, I mention a lot, because this question, I'd say, comes in maybe two, three, four times a year to info at Empty Set, um, where they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, all of a sudden, Quentin is black. I will say, if you have a hardcover of the All Pro, please look at the hardcover of the All Pro, yep, because that's, right. that's Quentin on the cover. And that is actually a junkie. His name is uh, Chris McWhite. And he is an African-American man, and uh, that's his hand on the cover. But everybody kind of... Not, not the all-pro. That's the, that's the one with the trophy, right? Is that no, Chris that's the, the trophy? It, What's the one we did the photo shoot for? The photo shoot is... Uh, oh, it might be... I think it's the MVP. Well, actually, it's two. You're right. It's the all-pro and the MVP. Both have black men... Holding the trophy or on the cover, <laughs> and uh, they one was on the East Coast and one was on the West Coast. Uh, but I think the MVP that he's talking about with the the trophy hoisted in the air with many many sentient hands right, yeah. grabbing yeah. on it, that is um, I don't I think that's Chris McWhite. Yeah, and so. then I, I in forget. the All Pro cover, where is the jersey of Quentin wearing? That's a that's uh, in San Francisco, and that is also a black human being, and everybody just glossed over that. It's very yeah, it's right, interesting. It's, a, it's literally on the cover. Uh, let's go. Um, we we got to talk about a, a far more difficult skin color conversation to have, and that is the bleach white of Yitzhak Goldman. Jared Dungan says, race, meh. I wasn't surprised by that as I was by the fact that the passive milky goodness Goldman was such a badass. Yeah, it's been... <laughs> That's been super fun to to watch uh, Goldman, and he's he's been there all along. He's been sitting, at, he's been doing all this stuff all along, but and now you it guys, comes out. We have a million questions, so let's, let's get go. into them. Let's go. Uh, Barbara Youngbauer asks Scott, "Will you please indulge us and pander to the fans, fander, if you will, fander? All right, I like this by having old best the the T Rex chomp down on some of the bastardly vermata." I want to hear bone snap, smell the blood as it flies, T-Rex teeth and all those tiny hands uh, rip up those evil some bitches to bits. We will see what happens. I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny at this time. I Senator, love that. Senator, that depends on the definition of crunchy and tiny hands. <laughs> exactly. Chris Hughes. We got so many. I'm just going to plow through until go, we stop. Go, go, go. Uh, Chris Hughes says, what is the meaning of the ship's name, the Oleron? Is there a story behind how it got its name? Uh, okay, uh, the Oler, we'll talk about the Oler in a second, but first we have, uh, I, I think that's the first okay. time Go ahead. Yeah. anybody from Costa Rica has chimed in, so that's great. If I forgot anybody from Costa Rica, sorry. But Andres will answer your question right now. Andres says, how do non-human kicker running backs and quarterbacks work? I like the dynamics if there is a quith running back or a key kicker. The hand waviness of how things work in the GFL is specifically set up so that the skill positions are humans because the skill positions are usually the main characters in any kind of football story. Sure. Uh, you know, you focus on quarterbacks, focus on running backs, occasionally focus on a kicker, laces out Dan, that kind of a thing. So to have an alien in those positions, um, that would have been too much work. So what are you doing? I'm opening the. What? No, you can't. If that's not how we do it. We I'm do it like this. Back to fast break. He was just answering Hi. a question. When you're writing a very difficult, detailed book combining alien races, science fiction, football, racism, gambling, and organized crime, sometimes that can get a little tiring. That's why I like to have a Reese's Fast Break. A fast break for me means more energy, means more writing for you. Reese's Fast Break. Okay, we're done with our sponsors. 
let's go. So, um, so the skill positions are human and it's sort of, it's sort of offhandedly explained the key 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 are crappy kickers. Cause they've got lower to the ground legs. They, they don't, they have bad accuracy, key of bad accuracy. Sklorno is running backs. There's a reason they're not running backs because they would last approximately four plays. They are not incredibly durable creatures. They, the, they, that species leads the league in deaths on the field every year. So putting them in any kind of position where they're going to get beat up a lot is a no-no. And then I also see human kicker. Yeah, quith running back. And, and quith uh, ball carriers, their hands are not particularly well suited. They've got the, they got the penny palps up by their head. And then they've got the big paws down here. While they can do all kinds of fine motor, work, fine motor skill work and they can make computers and all the other stuff, a ball in their hands, they tend to fumble a lot. The key tend to fumble a lot. So they're out. They can't catch the ball for crap. They fumble a lot. So that explains why the, the game that was invented by humans tends to favor the human physique in particular areas that are not just size, speed, and strength. Okay. Let's go. The fast break is not for me. What was the question? Uh, the question from Chris. Wow, that's terrible. Chocolate covered chalk. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I feel better. What right. is the meaning of the ship's name, the Oleron? Oh. Is there a story behind how it got its name? Okay, vamp for a second. I will vamp for a second. You guys, listen. So, so far we have Reese's sticks. These were delicious. The Reese's not rageous, delicious. The Reese's take five, delicious. The Reese's fast break a little, a lot, not for me. We have Reese's uh, pieces left, and then we have a surprise the FDO doesn't know about, which I'm not sure is going to go well, but we're going to figure it out together. We'll go with this. We'll go with this. Uh, a lot of times when I find a cool name, I'll just Google stuff and like, what does this mean? What's this? Look up this word in 15 different languages. A bunch of that in, coming up in the crypt. Um, Oleron is literally the ruler of the heavens, is the name given to one of the three manifestations, the supreme god and the Yoruba pantheon. Oleron is the owner of the heavens, and in this manifestation, the vital energy of Oleron manifests in humans as ash, which is the life force that runs through all living things. So there you go. That is the answer to your question. I wanted to find something super cool, and I found that name, and that is how the Oleron came to be. Okay, Robin Taylor asks, I often listen to audiobooks or podcasts in the shower or the bath. How many people do you think listen to your voice while they're in the nude? At least 93%. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be honest. How can you hear this and keep your clothes on? Ah. So it's okay. You guys do what you got to do. Hey, Brian. Nice to we see don't you need, out there. We don't need proof. Pixar didn't happen. Is irrelevant. We don't need to yeah. know. And go do Scott what you got to do. Nice to see you, too. Hey, Scott Pond in the house. Go, go do what Jared, you got to nice do. Nice to see you, too, of course. Um, Adam Waugh says, I love all the timelines and stories in the Sigliverse. Looking forward to what the Crypt series will bring us as... For the crew of the Oleron, will there be any more background stories for Zan in future books? Or even like a short story like was the creation of the Prowat? We saw the creation of the Prowat in the um, uh, uh, Petra Prowat stories. Let me go over that, break that down a bit. Um, Zan will, Zan has a major role in GFO book 7, 8, and 9, if she lives long enough. I'm not mm. sure. Zan is a major player in the stories still to come. The Oleron factors in heavily in the story still to come. Um, it's it's possible Beans has entered the uh, household dog category where he will not be killed under any circumstances. <laughs> it's going to be hard. I, I can't promise that yet. I cannot let him off the hook just yet. And then what was the other question? The other part of that question, babe? Uh, it was, hang on. Um, as for the crew of the Oleron, will it be any backstory for Zan or even a short story like there was for the creation of the Prowat? 
Yeah, tons of you will find out. You will find out a lot about Zan's backstory. You know, you you know I's backstory. You know Beans' backstory, although there's a big gap in it. So you know those things. But um, yeah, you'll know Zan is the one big mystery, and you will find out more about her. Killian will continue to be a mystery, although if you read the Crypt series, mm-hmm. you will come across him in that series. Uh, we are continuing uh, the Stone Wolf questions for a minute, and then we're going to get into um, sort of content and creation questions. But from Nicholas Bur- Burke, is Peaches a ro- is Peaches the robot who is in- featured in the Stone Wolves a rocked by Port Tath Silverbug? Yes, yes. Uh, also, within the GFL, do regulated teams return to their own previous conference, or do they take over the place of the newly promoted team that is taking their spot? No, they go back to their their conference. So, if you're in the uh, if you're in the Key Gridiron League, and you advance to you you make it through the Tier Two tournament, you make it into Tier One, and then you get relegated, you go back to the Key Gridiron League. That's always the way it is. So, um, it, it can get interesting if you're you're your division, your tier two division is really, really powerful. And you've got four or five or six good franchises. You can get three or four of your franchises up in a tier one, but it's cyclical like everything else in pro sports. You'll have a run. Things will fade off. Players get old. Management makes mistakes. You, you pay the wrong people, the wrong amount of money. You draft poorly, all that good stuff. Uh, Daryl Harris says, was the term shock used as a a replacement for stronger words when the rookie was adapted for young readers. And this is a, I'll answer this if that's okay with you. This sure. is a long and storied uh, piece of Sigliverse history. And the answer is absolutely yes. Scott tried to put the rookie into the app store at Apple and it had curse words in it. And he got super righteous and upset because 50 cents entire I, I can our entire albumography they, they, was they there. Were, they would not let the book on the, on the thing. They would not. And Fifty Cent Get Rich or Die Trying was number one album, and Rosemary's Baby was the number one movie. So and okay. when and when he replied, the woman who wrote back to him was like, "Cool, I'm the book person, and I'm I was a I was an elementary school teacher, and I'd love to talk to you." And she talked to him, and his parents are teachers, and his brother is a teacher, and she was like, "I just want to be able to share this with readers who can't." Who, who who aren't really into sparkly vampires or whatever. And I think that's actually Scott's term, sparkly vampires. That's my term. But, but like, she was like, please make this sports novel about sci-fi something I can share with students who are not engaging with other stuff. And it really moved Scott. And we didn't know each other at that time, but I'm super glad he did because that has been a huge, huge difference in our um, – Outreach, so to speak. And uh, it's been a really good thing because I don't know that there's a lot that are for um, kind of sporty kids, mostly mostly male sporty kids um, in, in elementary and junior high and stuff like that, that they can they can engage with in the same way that people can engage with or could engage in the in, in the, the four times with Harry Potter or Twilight or yeah. things like that. I always felt it wasn't it was not aimed particularly at male sporty kids because, you know, if you're a. Exactly. Volleyball jock in high school. Yeah. And you are obsessed with sport and that's your main thing. You mm-hmm. might not want to read Anybody. these. You yeah. might want to read these other categories. And if you got to read something, well, at least here's a book about athletes like you busting their ass trying to get better at a thing. So that's what we're, that's what we're going for. Yeah. So back to the uh, Stone Wolves. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Paul Waldron asks, what made you make the activation for the cruncher devices activate on hand action and not by remote or voice or code? I guessed because it was because it would be copied too easily. However, is there any other reason? I can't I just can't imagine the Abernessia having the right limbs to activate a cruncher. And also the person activating the cruncher would have to hightail it out of there after activating. Uh, Jeff Hexer says his daughters are hooked on the books. That's fantastic. That's the objective. Um, it's voice activated. It is voice activated. It's not the hand signals are just to get the device to open up so that they can get in there and work on it. And it's a, you know, it's a complicated dabbing type pattern because it's not something that's ever going to happen accidentally. So because there is a reason these are in cargo containers that you will, you know, you will see eventually when this happens. And it's spelled out pretty clearly in, in the stone walls. And um, so the hand signals open the thing up, allow people to get in and work on it, seal the thing up. And then it is, I believe it is the, the not Bhagavad Gita, is it? The, mm-hmm. I am the, uh, I'm, I become God of the destroyer of world, words. I forget, but this modification on the Oppenheimer quote, uh, I have become God the destroyer of worlds to say, to open, to activate the actual bomb. There are remotes. Just because he didn't use a remote doesn't mean there are not remotes. And there are timers. So it's a bomb, man. It's a, movie. <laughs> it's a bomb in a movie. There's going to be a couple ways to set that some bitch off. Uh, Jason Lombardo has two questions. The mm-hmm. first one, is there any piece of military technology used in the final galactic war explained better in a previous non-GFL titled book? No. Secondarily, what are the next five priorities after Shakedown First Draft is completed? Uh, okay, so Shakedown First Draft is completed. Priority number one is GFL Book 7. Third draft, hopefully the final draft. There's that one. Mm-hmm. Then there is a project that we are not allowed to mention yet. Project to be named later. Project to be named later. Actually, gotta, I agree so I gotta, far. I got to call my agent about that. I know. Project to be named later. Then invariably, we believe it will be... Um, shakedown second draft, and then then we go into the finalization of GFO book seven, and then probably I would guess shakedown uh, shakedown final draft and the beginning of crypt book two will be happening all at the same time. Yeah, I did this. I went through the five next things after shakedown, and I agree completely with him. Except I also agree with this one, which is a little nebulous. If uh, Shakedown second draft is the final draft, um, which it may or may not be, or GFL 7's next review is the final review, which it likely will be. Um, that will change things. But I can tell you definitively, <clears throat> we have GFL Book 7, we have the Crypt Stories, and we have um, this project that we can't talk about, which is so far a one-off project um, that will probably happen uh, at least he will write it this year. I don't know when you'll see it. But those things, uh, and then after the the project we can talk about in GFL 7, and the, is just more crypt, is what's happening next. For the next hmm, two to three years, it's mostly crypt sprinkled with other things. And I know if you've been around for a long time, you've seen us go through this, where either it's the GFL cycle with not a lot else sprinkled in, 
or it's the Earth Core Fitzroy cycle with Nautilus. Thank that's you, how that sort of works, and that's that's what it looks like right now. Um, we are planning to kind of stay, as we told you guys a couple of months or maybe a month ago. This we're sort of thinking of this as the PUVMD set, where we're kind of going to stay locked in and stay safe and get our books out, yep. his books out, and uh, and uh, get that done, and then move on to other. Things. And for those of you listening to the podcast after the fact, uh, Sean Dyer in the chat room came up with the quote, which is now I become death, the destroyer of world word, ah, destroyer of worlds. And as Chris Grawl in the term also said, that is Robert J. Oppenheimer. And uh, who is, uh, you know, who's going to eventually destroy some worlds. All right. Next question. Let's uh, go. Jeff Eckelberg asked, I love the stone wolves as much as all the other stories you've graced our ears with. I can't wait to find out if the elders, spoiler alert, elders from the generation trilogy have anything to do with the planet killers from the stone wolves. Is there a connection with their evil mindedness and current designs of the planet killing device? Uh, there was a lot packed into that question. Um, I will say that I can't answer some of it. And then there's other parts of it that I also can't answer right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, Meaning I can't answer any of that right now. So go to hell. So I'm going to jump into the chat room quickly because Ollie Kirby asked a good question. I'm glad you three got home safe and I'm glad you had a terrific trip. Congratulations. I'm so excited that your friends and family got to meet the baby. Uh, Ollie actually asked, after book six was the first GFL book with no... Oh, I'm sorry. Book six was the first GFL book with no gameplay. Will GFL book seven have gameplay? Sort of. So the first five books of the GFL, each book takes place alongside of a, a season of tier one, tier two or tier one football. Uh, book six, that did not happen as for reasons as those of you who have read it. And then book seven is partially, is a partial season. I won't tell you anymore. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but there's some crazy stuff that goes on in okay, GFL book seven. And then GFL book eight is like, what? What? I'll tell you guys right now. What? Yeah. That's your reaction, Jeff, of Seven, right there. Uh, Brian asks, I'm so excited for this next pass. Sorry if you covered it before, but will you be bringing back some of the guest readers like Mer Lafferty? Uh, no. No, we're not bringing back any guest readers? No, no, no. No, no, no. no. Nope, nope. That time is gone. Uh, that time is gone. That uh, world has moved on. That's not how we work anymore, and it's... It's always logistics to coordinate anybody, even a narrator like Ray Porter reading our books. That's all more work. And we have enough work and not enough time to do it that anything we can do to reduce some of that would be great. Now, that doesn't mean that Scott won't read any more stories or I won't read a story here and there or we won't hire another editor. But we're not going to do that sort of stunt casting, for lack of a better word, without we don't have time. We, yeah, we, we, without a really, really important purpose. All of those audio dramas you listen to, like Christoph Laputka's work and Which is, you know, We're Alive and, and all that stuff, that is an enormous amount of work. And we do an enormous amount of work too, but so much of our work goes into the you know the finessing of a full page of text type work. And in having done both, writing a six hundred page novel is a more time intensive process than writing a sixty page screenplay. So um, the, 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 the people doing the full cast audio dramas have a certain bandwidth that we don't have. And then they get crushed by that. Cause that is an enormous process to bring people in to read or to have people read remotely, bring it in, have that all engineered, trying to give in directorial comments on it. It's, it's very, very difficult stuff. So we don't touch it. And unless, basically unless it's a GFL novel right now, I'm giving that off to a, a list pro reader. 
mm-hmm. they get it done correctly. They get it done quickly. They tighten it up. They send it up to Steve. We don't do the editing anymore. Steve gets the editing done correctly. He gets it done quickly. And we wind up having more time to make original IP to give to you guys. Uh, okay. We have Scott Miller says, I was hoping to enlist some help tracking down the name of a short story that I remember hearing a long time ago. I remember it being about a spy slash stealth spaceship. What? Or, what? Or oh, I don't know. Or listening post. What? Where the crew is activated from cryosleep to begin their mission. I think the story was paced by the accumulation of heat in their vessel, and that correlated to their likelihood to be detected by the enemy. My gut says it's from the crypt era, but that is a guess. Is there a Sigler story like this, or did I subconsciously write and file it away as something you would write? Does it currently exist anywhere? Do you know what this is already? Yeah, it's Washington, D.C. That's the the short story of Washington, D.C., and we're still at a formulative moment in, uh, in, in the Shakedown series. I'm trying to pay close attention to a lot of things about... Um, we're trying to keep it as real to physics as we can and still tell the story and then come in with some crazy hand wavium that, that basically I'm not ignoring physics. I'm providing a reason that the physics we know do not work. And that is all with the goal of trying to build this series out as the the very World War II in flavor, which is which is World War II dogfights and big ship battles. That is Star Wars. That's what they set out to do from the beginning. Battlestar Galactic is a World War II aircraft carrier in space. There's something very particular key about that. Go back to the question. I uh, got lost. It was okay. Hang on. I'll have to do this better next time. Uh, I was hoping to enlist some help tracking. Oh, oh, I got it now. So the Washington D.C. is. Um, Paying much closer attention to physics, which is stealth is, from my limited understanding of physics, stealth is basically impossible in space. And if you're sitting there going like, well, what if they do this? What if they just turn the engines off? And what if they just have like, it's, it's not how things work. Yep. You, the, the things you can do on a planet to be stealthy do not apply in space at all. So there was a lot of work in the Washington, D.C. to try and like, okay, well, how could you make a stealth? How could you have a ship do stealth? Mm-hmm. A lot of I don't know if that work is going to go into Shakedown, going to go into the Crypt series. We may just ignore it, or we may it, it might still come around. I'm not sure yet. And I'll say two things. Uh, Shannon Bethany said, "Isn't that the tank?" And I thought the same thing. I thought it might be the tank. And then there's the story with Grzit, Grzit, yeah, the that story, which is also part of this time zone time frame, um, which is very much that Grizzit gets woken up. I think so, yeah. but I can't remember I'm what that's. Pretty sure called. the one they're asking about because it deals with the heat so much. Yeah, for and sure. Keeping you know keeping crew on ice. So yep, for sure. For keep sure. crew on ice. The ship's full of ice, and they have X amount of time before that heat absorbing material goes through a phase change and will no longer absorb heat. So the stealth they do have is very limited. They have a limited window to do the thing. And this, the way the story works now, in some ways eliminates that, but we'll still have to see. All right. Uh, so uh, this is a super quick question. Joseph Stronger asks, can we expect a mature or a y version, YA version of the crypt? And I'm going to answer Ooh. that. 
Absolutely. A mature version. There's 200 years between the crypt and the GFL. So if you can remember what your ancestors said 200 years ago and whether or not they cursed, let me know. But we're going to make that an adult version uh, because that's better for the story and that's better for us. So it's an adult version. But thank you for asking, because we actually talked about this quite a lot. If we move into the future and it's YA and they're sort of related. And we decided by the time the people who are reading these young, young adult stories grow up to need the the experience on the crypt is definitely a mature experience. Uh, I, this will never be in a grade school class, ever. It is basically... Um, the marketing at this point, as far as I can tell, is uh, the crypt. All the yeah. triggers. That's it. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. The crypt, all the triggers. Yep. Next one. Um, who will be... Whose idea was it to repodcast the OG version of The Rookie? Was it my idea? Yeah. John and I brought up, we weren't sure if all the versions of the rookie had been podcast. And uh, Scott thought of, um, we get questions literally at least once a week, if not three times a week, about whether or not they could hear that original story because they've been told that story exists. We'll never sell it. There's never a way that we can sell it and not confuse the marketplace. So we figured this was a good uh, interaction right there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lisa Brooks asked two questions. The first one is, uh, who will be reading Shakedown for the audiobook? We don't know yet. Uh, as I mentioned in the chat room, we are, um, we, we've been talking to Ray Porter about this for, uh, for a while. And he, uh, either he is a fan of my work or he knows how to keep his clients happy. But he says he enjoys reading the work. So we are working on it. But that is, that is to some degree out of our hands. We can, we can direct that. But that is up to uh, the publisher. The audio publisher will be handling that, and hopefully we can work with them. But uh, a, a big part, a big part of the changes that we have made, like the, the print and demand stuff, and getting rid of all the, um, getting rid of all the uh, future novellas and, and things of that nature, is to reduce the amount of work we do. Is oh, to reduce the bottleneck on you. Reduce the bottleneck on me. So we are, you know, we are relying on the publisher to do what publishers do. Which, so we won't, we will be like, we want this. He will go for this. He wants to do it. You guys need to make this happen. If they can't make it happen, then it's up to them. It's up to them. It's up to them from square one. It's only a matter of how much they want to listen to us and uh, when we try and push them one way or another. Yeah. And we absolutely, as did Ray, sort of say, we would love this, but that's, we have to do that. Uh, through the publisher who's publishing the crypt. Second question from Lisa is, will you two do an audiobook together, even just a short story? And uh, if you want, uh, you're, I'll answer this for now. Uh, I'll ask, uh, somebody asked when the rookie, why, uh, the rookie adult version starts. It starts on May 28th. Episode one is May 28th. Good. Okay, so Lisa Burke's second question was, do you two, will you do, you two ever do an audiobook together, even just a short story? Have we? I don't think we have. We have, both uh, contributed to Bones Are White, um, along with Ray Porter and a couple of other people. But it was yeah, just each narrator reading their own story. I don't think that we've thought about that yet. I, I'm sure it's not out of the question. We um, have a, a screen or a, a story idea or a screenplay idea, I'm not sure which, that we've been talking about on and off for a while that I think we'll do together. Um, I don't know how that will end up, but certainly if that comes to fruition and it's a short story that has a male voice and a female voice, I think that would be a lot of fun. But we've never even thought about that as we, far as I know. Are things dropping out, you guys? Uh, Michael Gray is having trouble getting the signal. So if you guys are dropping out, uh, hopefully not because we strip the audio out of this and then that goes – we use that to uh, to use the this Sunday's episode. So uh, – but again, it's – we have we have talked about doing an alternating viewpoint, male, female, whatever, um, but that is – a, that's also an enormous amount of work. 
we the that's pretty much the only full cast up that we will ever do is mm-hmm. just me and A because we can each go in do three or four characters a piece, record each other, send it off to Steve. But uh, that that's the only way because then we get consistent sound quality. It's the background sound when the background sound that's changes. You may not realize it, but when the background sound changes, because one guy's recording his kitchen, one lady's recording her closet, it just takes you out of the story and it ruins, it destroys the, it destroys suspension of disbelief. So we can control it ourselves. We might do that. That's it. All right, next one. Uh, now we're on. Uh, last week I mentioned David Wilkinson has questions about many things in the Siglerverse, and these are somewhat practical, somewhat uh, process-driven, and hmm. somewhat character-driven. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. If you guys have questions in the chat room, please ask them. If we can get to them, we'll do that. If not, we'll add them to our Q&A and answer them in the next few weeks. Uh, first one is one of my favorite things about Scott's writing, particularly in the GFL series, is how he slips in random quotes from movies and TV yes. shows mm-hmm. into otherwise normal dialogue between between characters. My absolute favorite is the quote from Better Off Dead in either The Gangster or The Stone Wolves. I listened to them back to back and I don't remember which was which. Tentacles, NT, big difference. <laughs> I have to know, what is Scott Ney's favorite of these sneaky quotes? I, I, I would, like 20% of Pulp Fiction dialogue is in my work in one way or another. So I don't have any particular favorites. But, um, you know, there, there's a bunch. There will be a there will be a Drake Weir leaving in yep. in the Crypt series. So. I will tell you, no holds barred, what my very favorite one is, and this is a special thing, so you may or may not know this. So, it, when the paperback for Infected was published, the paperback, it came with a sneak peek of the first couple of chapters of Contagious at the back end. And it might have been just the first two. It might have been the first three. I'm not sure which. But in those first three chapters that were published in the paperback only, first printing of the paperback of Infected, one of the things that happens is when Perry is thinking and talking about himself, he actually says, that made me angry and you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And it's not in Contagious. Uh, the editors took it out of Contagious. They were like, nope, that's a that's, a, that's too you hulky. Do? You have to take that out. And so if you have a first edition paperback that has that excerpt of Contagious in it, you will see that line in Contagious that isn't in the printed book. And I love that very Can much. Can you check your phone real quick, see if it's uh, Wi-Fi's off? Mm-hmm. We're getting a, we're having the audio is OK, but we're having some video stuttering going yeah, on. Yeah, it was. Well, okay. It is now. Again. Um, let me double check that I did that. Yeah, that's still off. Okay. Um, uh, when an audiobook is being recorded for one of your books, excluding the ones done in-house, how much direct contact or collaboration is there between Scott or A and the narrator reading the book? And I'll start while he's typing. I will say it sort of depends. Uh, Ray Porter is a friend of ours. I talk to Ray Porter a lot. I had the benefit um, when I recorded the audiobooks that I recorded for Casey Alexander. I was in studio while Ray Porter was in studio doing other things, so we became a little bit closer friends. But Scott talks to them all the time. And I, I, I think um, as whenever he's done talking about that um, or type doing whatever he's doing, he can tell you about his experience with Bronson Pichot and uh, Aliens Phalanx, which was really charming for me because we don't know that actor at all. And he was so down to earth and so human and so invested and so excited to be part of it, I think. Uh, that long 
URL I just put in because I included all the search information like a dummy. That is uh, Nanoshock, which A did the audiobook oh. for. So we we're talking about <laughs> that. Yeah. You guys want to hear A do an audiobook with an enormous amount of cursing. Oh my God, so much cursing. So when doing the audiobook, um, I don't have a whole lot of interaction. Once they start doing it, they usually ask for, they'll ask for um, pronunciation guide and then they'll send back more questions of pronunciation as they go. And then I try to talk to the director and the voice talent if possible, just to say, I'm here, text me, I'm here 24 seven. If you have questions, why not ask me first and then go with whatever you want to do. And then I make sure I'm available 24 seven to the people reading the book. So if they have any questions on pronunciations primarily or character or motivation, or if they want to get into the deeper acting stuff, I am there to answer that. And, and, I- uh, and Bronson Pinchot had way more questions than anybody else. I would get, you know, they recorded at odd hours and they, I would get texts all, all the time and eventually started to be able to chat with him on the phone and go over stuff. And he would talk about, well, I think the character means this by this. And most of the time the answer is like, that sound, you're the one interpreting this work. That sounds good. Other times we'd be like, no, that's off. Here's, here's where I think that they're coming from. And then very little with Ray, Ray, Ray's just, Ray Porter's just kind of a machine. Like mm-hmm. he's just extremely good at his job. Goes through the whole thing. You get a question every now and then, but not too often. So it, um, and those are the pri- the two primary guys. Yeah, and I'll with. say also, yeah. uh, Ray is a very big sci-fi reader and sci-fi fan. So when it first came to be possible that m- maybe Ray would record with us and Scott and Ray talked, Ray was familiar with Scott's work already. And that's... Uh, is a huge indicator that he sort of gets the vibe of Scott's work. And his work, again, is very much like Scott's. It's very sort of pop culture relevant. It's very present. It's very real time. It's very cinematic. And I think he does the same thing. So that kind of works yeah. out. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm checking um, to make sure there's no questions in the chat room. Okay. But uh, in the NF- NBA and NFL, if a player is traded midseason and their old team goes on to win the championship that season, the team owner can choose to offer a championship ring to that player oh. even though they are no longer on the team. Right. This has led to a handful of times where a player was traded and they went on to play his former team in that year's championship, a la Don Pine, and essentially guaranteed a ring no matter what. <laughs> Obviously, with his history of throwing games, there's no way in hell that Greedock would have offered Pine a ring. But did Greedy extend the courtesy to any other players that were traded away during the champion, the Kraken's championship I season? I don't know. We can assume if they wanted to pay for the ring themselves, Greedock would have... <laughs> Greedock would have answered. He would have, I will offer you the opportunity to own this ring, but you must pay for it yourself plus a 5% finder's fee. Finder's fee for me. (laughs) Also, if you don't know, sometimes when uh, Squeaky is being kind of a jerk, Scott talks. (laughs) Uh, you like talks in Greedock's it's a, it's voice. It's a very Squeaky, similar Greedock voice. And that's very, very much what Squeaky, Squeaky does. Do. Was, mother, I, I noticed you are Squeaky. sitting on the couch with Father. He should move immediately, Mother. I should be on your lap and no one else should be in the room. Also, Mother, would you kindly get me a treat? Thank you. <laughs> True. Okay, with Scott being such a huge Lions fan, I've always been curious why he didn't make the Kraken's colors blue and silver. David, this is a great question. Let me finish it. It's such a great question. All right. I'm a diehard Broncos fan, and if I were to write a series about a fictional football team, I wouldn't be able to resist making the team have orange and blue as their colors because that's what I want to cheer for. Come here. Uh, Greedock the Splithead heard her call, heard her <laughs> name, and came, came running. So orange and black were the colors of my high school team. So I 
was a wrestler and was a football player. And that I'm sure that is why that, that, that dark, rich orange is, is my favorite color. And I, so much of who I became as a human being and as a grown up was forged in the furnace of all that time in the wrestling room, all that time and the football practice field and, you know, and the pep rallies and all that, all that awesome small town stuff that, um, I just, I, I like orange and black. Those are my favorite colors. So the team was going to be my favorite colors, which are orange and black. Um, you know, silver and blue, you know, go in your own goddamn Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I, any time. Any friggin' time, buddy. Any, right. any moment of any day. Any moment of um, day. It, this is a question I'm sure has been asked a million times, but is there a general ETA on GFL Book 7 and 8 mm-hmm. and on? Um, to quote pop culture a little bit? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, we don't. We no, we don't do that anymore. We will give you when it, when it is, when the souffle is ready. We will put it on the table, and we're not saying that to be artiste. We're saying that because we have fucked up so many promised deadlines that we simply do not promise deadlines anymore. GFL Book Seven is in uh, second draft edit is complete. I have to go through that. We will go through that when shakedown is done, and then we'll get it finished. Depending on when this uh, mystery project shows up. And that's uh, that we know that's that's the situation. There we go. Next. I will also say this: once we are actively in production, that's the difference. That's the thing. We don't talk about it when we think it'll happen, but once we're actively in production, we'll talk to you about that. And they may slide from there, but like we're never going to spring on you. Oh, hey, this whole new GFL book is available today. We may do that with little things, but we won't do that with a whole novel. I forgot. I have written a screenplay called Super Bowl C. You have? many many years ago. In which the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl. So my fandom is worn on my sleeve, just like <laughs> anybody else. Oh, right. Uh, this may be a dumb question, but in the GFL, what's the difference between the terms race and species? Uh, they seem to be used pretty interchangeably. When race is used, it's defining a subset within the species. Is this just an example of the word race and racist being used in a colloquial way in the future? They're fairly synonymous. In, in the future, species or race, there's uh, there are, you know, no, no sensitive, politically correct words in GFL, too, which are not ones that we have right now. So people kind of fumble around with that. But m- for the most part, race and species are synonymous, although the most cumbersome word in the GFL is speciesist because it's different from being a racist. So racist is you are prejudiced against one particular segment of a species, species means you hate all the species, but if you're a speciesist, you're also a racist too. So there you go. Exactly. That's Everything went up. I want to point out that Peter Bryan is in the chat room on Facebook. Peter Bryan is a mythwit. He is one of the two mythwits. He's fantastic. And he's in the chat room and he says, orange and blue polytech baby. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, do all vehicles travel at exactly the same speed in punch space? Meaning if ship A punches in 10 in into punch base 10 minutes before ship B and they are taking the exact same course, will ship A always arrive the same 10 minutes before ship B? Unclear. (laughs) 
David went back and finished the Generations trilogy before he sent in these questions. He reread the Generations trilogy and the Stone Wolves and the Gangster before he sent in all these questions. So these are from the Generations trilogy, I think. Okay. Uh, how many different species and which ones made it to Omiokan before the birthday children? Obviously the Springers and the Velen, which he believes are the Queth. But if I recall correctly, it is hinted that there is an archeolo- there's archaeological evidence of other species below the remains of the Velen species. But then it's not mentioned again. Yep. Um, we will never know. There's maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. It's been an ongoing process that ties into the broader Sigliverse in a way so deep and intrinsic to the finale that I can't even begin to give you any hints at all. But I think that is sort of the point of that, right? Like, I read that in the Generations trilogy, yeah, that idea of, um, of, of seeing evidence of other, like archaeological evidence of other uh, species and other lifetimes mm-hmm. and other life cycles. That is the point of that, that yeah. this has been going on forever and ever and ever. In in my lifetime, in yes. it, for me to be able to understand forever, it's been happening. My entire idea of existence. And when you're talking about the the the, uh, can't tell you anymore. Can't tell you anymore. <laughs> okay, you let's you highlighted to, this one. Brian, Brian, uh, Brian yes, yeah, says, what are your thoughts? Let's go to chat so people can see. What are your thoughts on the trends of writers hiring teams of beta readers and continuity teams, dialogue editors, etc.? Do you see the value of such collaboration efforts? Does it water down the story? We've been doing this for years. Uh, we have a continuity editor, the continuity czar, John Vis- Big John Viscara, who has been, um, I couldn't tell you how long he's been working for us in that position, but it's been a while. Um, and then we we don't have dialogue editors, but we have we have actual book editors who will make suggestions on dialogue. And we have an enormous, depending on the book, the beta reads can be extensive. For any of the modern-day Sigliver stuff, there's a couple of military guys. There's the editor. If there's, if there's cops involved, there's a cop. It's, you know, there's doctors. We have, we have doctors. We have biologists. So our beta readers can go anywhere from like uh, four, four to seven people. So we, we, have teams of, we have teams that involve continuity editors. We have teams that involve highly specialized beta readers. So we, we do that. I'm not, I wasn't where other people do it, did it, but I also wasn't where other people didn't do it. So... So before we move on with questions, I have a surprise for my husband. Let's see what's up. I'm not sure it's a good surprise either. What? It's Reese. It's I love Reese's day. Is it a Reese's snack pack? I found a Reese's snack pack. I'm sure it's going to be. Hang on. I'm sure it's going to be. going to be. T- Collider's snack pack. Here we go. Oh. Uh, I would say it's about damn time, but I'm sure it's not. Hi, I'm Scott. And when I've been spending 90 minutes on an episode of Sigler in Place, where we go over the Stone Wolves, I sometimes want to have a little bit of a snack. And that snack might look a lot like poop. <laughs> that snack might look an enormous amount like like, a, put, like a, a big cup of poo. So but we're going to mix it up. And then it's gonna oh, be... you mix it up. Why wouldn't you? It's called layers. Woman, don't you I mean, correct I me, Heidi Reese. I don't eat a lot of snack bags. I don't know how to eat Woman. it, but it says layered. It does not taste like poop. It's very, uh, it's a little, not as good as a Reese's cup, but it's all right. Can I try? Mm-hmm. You're not going to like it, I don't think. Is it too sweet for me? Tastes like they snuck some butterscotch in this bitch. Actually, actually, that's not bad. That tastes like snack packs. All right, next question. Okay, it's bad in the aftertaste, though. I've been trying to tell you. Okay. 
which species were in the mothership basilisk, motherships, bas- basilisk, goblin, and eel? Wow, that's bad. Unclear. We may never know. We may never know what species were in those. There's definitely some shenanigans going on uh, in the end of that book. So I'm, that's great. Um, we had a great time writing that series. Really think the ending was pretty over the top. So if you guys have not read the Generations trilogy for whatever reason, it's a great way to fill your time until we get GFL book seven out and Shakedown book one out. Uh, how, how, much, how much of technology was included in the signal sent out by the grub? Obviously, the plans for the ship were included, but it seemed like every species had a different weapons tech. Mm-hmm. So were any of the other major tech elements shared in the signal to all species as well? Or was it just the ship specs? And other than that, each race was just equipped with whatever they had already developed as use for them. By and large, it was the jet, the ship design and the ship design supports the engine design. That was the technology that was given. I see we're starting to spot out a little bit too. I don't know what's going on. I'm I just saw that, that too. Um, so that, that's all they got. Then they had to apply whatever weapons tech they had. And there is a specific reason behind that as well. Uh, this again, I think is uh, these remaining questions are uh Generations trilogy related. So if you had any stone wolves or gangster questions and you want to drop them in the chat room right now, we we can get to those too. We did just have one. Oh, other other characters who were inspired by other NFL players. I would say John Tweedy was Roman Romanowski. Bill Romanowski so was a was one of the inspirations for for John Tweedy. And then most of the other inspirations are just guys I played football with. Yeah. You know, like the stoner. You got somewhere you got a stoner who's saying weird stuff, you know, and that's George Starcher. And it just, uh, all of the people you see in that were guys I played football with. Some of them were like a combination of two or three people, et cetera. So. Do any species fully embrace and pursue the signal in the Generations trilogy? Or was each ship manned by a sort of extremist fringe group from each species? I think that depends on this, the, the culture on the planet where the signal is received at that particular time. So. Some of them were probably fringe groups. Some of them could have been an entire planetary economy could be dedicated to fulfilling this, making this ship and sending everybody out on the ship. So it runs the gamut. And this is a this is a thing that has happened thousands and thousands of times over thousands and thousands of years. So the answer is yes and no in in numbers. Uh, Godfrey Lee asks, if you haven't thought about it already, how about a George Starcher novella, maybe a buddy comedy with Tara the Freak <laughs> and or George's Towel? Uh, and he said, please give me a special shout out in the thanks if you run with this idea. We've already covered that we're not planning on doing any more novellas, no but more that novellas. would be very fun. <laughs> no more novellas. can't Because uh, the novellas won't be done j- the right way to fit perfectly into the, the GFL timeline. And if I can't ask somebody to do that and I don't have time to do it myself... That's it. But a, t- um, a Towley a Towley novella would be great. It would be very yes. fun, right? Uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, why didn't any species build and send multiple ships to Omayokan? Also, why couldn't species send other ships of their own design? Is it just that far away from any other occupied planet that no other type of ship could get there? I mean, the Abernessia have shown that they have the capacity to travel between galaxies en masse. So could they really not send any more of their own ships to Omayokan? Being a kid who grew up in the Cold War and watching the impact of military expenditures 
basically breaking an empire who could not keep up. And in the Cold War, the Western nations were able to put a much larger amount of money into research, development, production of wartime material, training, etc. And eventually the Russian economy at the time could not keep up and they spent themselves into, into the grave, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that, plays in, that plays in the GFL in that these things are horribly expensive to produce. Dra- hu- massive, massive expenditures involve, involve going, are involved going into this. There's also a side note that the way the ships work they don't really work well in a fleet conjuncture or work well together. So the only way to get that kind of distance when this book, when, when the series begins is with those particular plans and that, and, and the other thing that keep in mind, it's not quite the obelisk showing up in 2001 and the monkeys smacking each other over the head of the club. It's not quite that level of techn- technological difference, but it is several echelons of technology orders of magnitude greater. So, you know, yeah. you're you're talking about building the pyramids of Giza in order to get this thing off the ground. That's not something that people can do a lot of outside the one. That's sort of a bullshit answer. Well, but, but it comes down to it comes down to there's also if you continue to listen to the series, you will come to understand there can only be one. There can only be one from each planet that's going to make it out. So that's basically. And you also figure there's um, in any and the pyramids of Giza are a great example of this in any giant project. It gets broken down into smaller things. And so whether or not the um, the direction that the project was supposed to be going is clear or solid. There are project managers on every level who's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get my I'm going to get my big square rocks from over here because it's two cents cheaper or whatever. And things change without you sort of knowing them. So if you think about any time any giant project happens anywhere on this planet, it kind of gets bogged down in the details and maybe bogged down in the grift and things like that. And it's it's assumed that that might happen there, too. And the the question of if it was the key who were showing up in the Infected trilogy, how did they how did they wind up? how do they wind up not being dominant and have getting discovered at a later time? That's, that's pretty much covered in the timeline. Timeline is also on Siglerpedia, but it was also such a massive expenditure to make those jump gates that it wound up, it wound up bankrupting the people who made them. And then the revolutions and things of that nature and technology collapsed. I, you'll see my, on all my stuff, I play with what I consider the inevitability of a highly advanced society in a particular ecology, particular planet, eventually that breaking down and watching knowledge start to dumb down. And when it dips below a certain level, like the Black Plague, you can wind up losing an enormous amount of technology, wind up losing centuries just to get back to where you were before. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened with them. So we have a couple more questions. Dirk Peter Smith asks, um, when you write a multi-book series like the GFL, do you have a main outline on how the story evolves from beginning to end? And is it already worked out from the start? Or is the ending of the series something you come up with later in the process? Is there a difference how this works for you when writing a three-book series like Infected or the Generations trilogy compared to something like the GFL? They're very similar in that um, I knew what the end of the Generations trilogy would be. And I had an outline and then things happen along the way and it, you're kind of course correcting and try and bring it back to that ending yeah. unless the course, the course changes to the point where you're like, oh, this ending's wait, this way, this is way better. This makes way more sense. 
With the GFL, I've known the I've known the end point of the GFL since I think I've been in the sixth grade. Would be my guess. Maybe maybe eighth grade, somewhere along those lines. Uh, in the chat room on Facebook, Peter Bryant asks, "Has anyone asked where the name of the bio serum Gibblejuance came from?" Nope, made it up. Gibblejuance. <laughs> where did that name come from? Unclear. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, Joseph Strong, or sorry, Dirk Peter Smith asks, is there any progress on the Marie Curie anthology that you can talk about? And I will answer that one. What I know is the anthology is done and it is currently being published in August of this year. It got moved from March to August, but it's on track for August. And you can probably pre-order it right now wherever you get books. My work's done. That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. Next. Uh, let's see. Do we have any in the, I think we we're five good minutes there. Left. Yeah. I have many, 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 many questions. Okay. Uh, Kim Hansen asks, your writing has become more character-driven over the course of your career. How did you make this shift and why? <clears throat> That's an interesting question because I'm not entirely sure. Um, because the, 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 the plots, especially the plots going over the course of multiple books, have always been what I call the satanic Seinfeld episode where you have all of these, these five or six, seven different plot threads and they seem to have absolutely nothing to do with each other until the last three minutes of a Seinfeld episode. Then all of them come together and none of them would have worked without each other. That's kind of what I, what I do with the book, but that takes an enormous amount of work. So basically I'm a thriller writer. Mm-hmm. I'm a thriller writer who happens to use horror and science fiction. I love that. So a Stephen King type horror writer is just sort of letting the story go wherever it goes. And he's exploring the horror as it sort of happens. And he discovers it as he goes. Whereas a thriller writer, to get those big whiz bang endings in a thriller, like a movie like True Lies. I'm an old first name movie, Jamie Lee Curtis. True Lies, to get to the end of that, a bunch of stuff has to be set up for it to feel, feel genuine at the end. So I was putting in, you know, 80% of the page count goes into building that structure and embedding all of these 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 highway markers that you don't really realize you've seen. So when you get to the end, all of this bullshit information, you just barrel through it and hopefully you're on the edge of the seat and you gotta finish it. So to get into more character writing, to keep that, you get what you got with uh, Mount Fitzroy, which is just is humongous book because they took that structure and then started to add way more character work into it too. And we are now trying to, to bring the needle all the way over to more character work because uh, in our own cons- consumption of pop culture, uh, and I've had a breakthrough uh, a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, where I just shat on everything. I just shat on everything. And like, and eventually, um, you know, it, we, as we started to figure it out, it was like, what matters is, what matters is the characters. That's what pulls you into. That's why you, that's why you don't care if the phaser array gets reconfigured for the 57th time. And now the enterprise can suddenly shape shift and teleport in another dimension. It makes no sense of the continuity series, but you don't care because you're really into those characters. So we're trying to come back over to the character side a little bit more heavily. It's just the organic growth of me as a writer, I suppose. And he says it, uh, that he shat on everything, but um, recently we've had more granular, um, language around that, which is actually much more accurate, which is he had a very hard time letting go of any entertainment that he thought he could make more clear, more better, more enjoyable to the end user. And even himself as an end user, he couldn't just enjoy it. He had to kind of see if he could make it better for more people. And when he, so yes, it's technically true that he shat on everything, but it wasn't that he thought 
he could do better. It's just that he thought he could make everything could be a little easier to consume. And that's always the point of an entertainer, right? They want you to love what they do and they want it to be easy to consume. So we're pretty much done. I have a zillion questions, but I got through most of the ones that were Stonewolf or Gangster or book related. I have two questions of my own. Um, I know you guys probably know this too. Uh, If you follow Scott on social media, he has been quite quiet for the last handful of weeks. Um, how are you doing? I I know you have been absolutely hammering twenty four seven as much as you can. I think you work probably right eight hours a day and get all your chores and housework done and take care of your pets and wife and all that, and then sleep the righteous sleep of somebody who has exhausted their entire self. But actually, how are you doing with this story? Uh, it's going it's going pretty good. A lot of the questions, like the question about character, that that has come into play. The question about you know, how, how detailed do I want to get with this alternate physics? Because all of that chews up page count, and page count for that takes it away from the characters. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, crypt is, the crypt is pretty much a horror. It's a horror story. It's a horror story that just happens to be set in space. And, but there's still this foundational bedrock of what I do, which is when you get to the end of the book, things have to make sense. You can't have something pop up out of nowhere that ruins everything that I've already said that you've already bought into the willing suspension of disbelief. So that part to answer your question is, has been really difficult in this, especially kludging through a first draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it ran into one today where, you know, something I had missed messed up a bunch of other stuff so that that can get a little bit depressing to know like, ah, oh, you know, I made this last week may have been wasted. And I may have to go back and rework from there back to here. And the reason I bring it up is a lot of you guys know that, the reason that Scott and I met is that I loved Infected and I went to a convention to meet him um, because I loved Infected and I'm a big reader. But it's interesting because even now living, literally living and breathing with a writer, uh, The Crypt is a new thing for me. I haven't seen Scott so mentally exhausted by getting the story right in a long time. And th- not to say that I never have. You, If you've read an, uh, Ancestor, if you've read... An, I, I didn't know him during Infected, but if you've read Pandemic, if you've read Ancestor, I have seen these hard moments happen, but consistently never so much as here. And a lot of that has to do with now we live together and there's a pandemic, so we don't go out of the house a lot. Uh, uh, agreed. But um, it's hard if, if you guys think about it, how, how often you say you're moving house or you just tried out for the softball team or who knows what, and you're physically exhausted at the end of the day because you're doing something new. It's rare that that same amount of exhaustion is comes from mental work. And, and I've seen that a few times in the last month or so. So I wanted to bring that up. And now the most important question of the evening, what is the Reese's winner tonight? Reese's winner is the, um, the Reese's sticks for the winner. Mm-hmm. Reese's sticks were the clear winner. I didn't get to the Reese's Pieces yet. The reward yet. is his favorite candy on earth, unopened. He gets to have that. <laughs> the Reese's um, Gliders was was also oh, was okay. The Reese's Take Five Stale Pretzels. It's one of those candy bars you got to get to when they're fresh. And, and this, this one, whatever this, this one, one that's was, not word. Somebody said this was like a um, carnation's breakfast without the milk, and I agree. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's not good. It's Terrible. It's, it's not good. So, oh. so there we go. I think that does it for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we do have a canine Reese here somewhere, but uh, she's uh, uh, Mackie. That the original crypt was from many years ago. I'd say two thousand and eight. Yeah, somewhere around there. Maybe I'm not 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 two thousand not two thousand six. Maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. 
And that is the uh, basis or foundation for what I am creating right now. What I'm creating not right now is, is, is building on that, making a much, much more formal structure for it, for the military, for the governments at that time, for all the uh, intergalactic relations, diplomacy, etc., and then putting a bunch of just awful, awful people on an awful, awful ship and sending them out into space to do awful, awful things. And uh, the last thing that we'll do for Reese's I Love Reese's Day is show you our Reese the Piece. That's my dog, Reese Pieces. I like him that much. This is Reese Pieces. <laughs> Uh, you guys know that we love you. We're headed back to work. Scott has a few more weeks before he's done with the first draft that he has to submit to the publisher on the crypt. After that, there's going to be more GFL7, more crypt, all that jazz. And, God, I cannot get the angles down. It's all goofy tonight. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't okay. me messing with the angles that made everything start to go floopy-doop. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we are now... I think we are. We're sort of done yes. for this week. So, go ahead, If baby. you sent in questions that we didn't get to tonight, feel free to send them in again if you would like. Um, uh, but I think I have them. We just ran out of time, and I will continue to read them on Q&As during Sigler in Place. If you have any questions about anything, any problems, email info at MTSet. That's the best, 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 best way to get me to answer you. I am terribly terrible at Facebook We will be back on Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, which is National Wine Day and Uh-oh. George Starcher Towel Day. <laughs> So there we go. So there will be some wine consumed. I'm not a big wine drinker, but... But uh, well, what about bubbles? We got we to have some bubbles, but there and you go. And until then, as ever, you guys, we need you to Can stay you, safe. And we need you to stay smart. We absolutely need you to stay science. And for the love of science, we need you to stay informed. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.